Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 49 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the Mets coming off a nice weekend in the Bronx, taking two out of three in the first part of the Subway Series this year. The MLB Draft, we are just a few days away. It'll be on Sunday. Round one of the MLB Draft will start at the end of this weekend. So we're going to talk about a lot of that today, what the Mets are going to do with the 10th overall pick. Of course, players to keep an eye on from Joe's perspective. And it's going to be a mailbag-heavy show. We have a ton of questions. You guys sent awesome stuff. Of course, a lot of different trade deadline scenarios, some Nimmo extension talk, things along the lines of that. So a lot to go through on today's show. But episode 49, kind of an interesting group of characters here that have worn the number 49 jersey in the orange and blue. One unforgettable, Armando Benitez. One champion, Ed Hearn, backup catcher for the 1986 World Series team. And one underrated, John Neese. So with that being said, Joe, let's bring you in. How are you doing, man? Doing good. Excited. It's draft week. This is uh, really... In it's a your set. week. It's my week. Yeah, I'll, I'll claim it. It's mine. It's I've been doing this for a hell of a long time and you know in a sense it's it's like my christmas that you know i cover prospects for, for s and y obviously cover them here and the mets are going to be adding some new guys for me to cover so i i really can't wait and uh episode 49 john niece with the nose job paid for by carlos beltron <laughs> i mean you know it was funny going through these because obviously an interesting array of players if those are the three that this came down to obviously not a ton to pick from, but there have been a decent amount of players that have worn the number 49 jersey for the Mets before. You know, Benitez is funny to me because I think he's remembered in a very negative light by Mets fans because of his postseason struggles, which, you know, understandable. But it's funny when you just look at his career numbers, he had 160 saves for this team in five years with a 2.7 ERA. So Armando Benitez. Uh, was essentially a, a dominant player at his role, at his position for the Mets as a closer, especially in those really important 1999 and 2000 seasons. But he just really didn't get it done in the postseason. So an interesting player there. And, and one interesting fact I had when I was doing the research for this one, I know he was injured at one point. He was dealing with like a toe injury or something. He was actually battling gout because he enjoyed eating shellfish too much. So there's your Armando Benitez fact of the day. And then, of course, John Neese, I, I mean, you know, not a perfect player, but definitely an underrated one. He had a three-year stretch there where he was sub-4 ERA. I think the problem of why he's kind of just forgotten about in Mets history is those were awful Mets years. If you put John Neese on this team today and he has one of those 3.4 ERA seasons out there as, you know, your fourth or fifth starter or whatever it may be, fans might remember him differently, and that's just how it goes. 
yeah, I mean, that's that's a big factor too. It's if, if the team's no good, then you just forget about those teams or you try to forget about those teams. And then Benitez, of course, I love Benitez. And he was, like you said, super dominant in the regular season and really successful, unfortunately. It's kind of like Aaron Heilman last week, right? Aaron Heilman was really good for this team. But you're going to be remembered if you screw up in the postseason because this is a team that hasn't won a World Series in, since I've been alive and certainly since you've been alive too. So it, we want it. We want that World Series. So if if we get to the postseason, you know, you have the shot of going to the World Series and whoever blows that is automatically going to have a nasty feeling in Mets minds, Mets fans' minds. That's just kind of how it goes. And, and and speaking of blowing games, the Mets did play in the Bronx. Uh, since our last show, they, are four, they went four and three in that stretch since we recorded our last show. Obviously, two of those four wins, colossal ones against the Yankees. I think any time the Mets beat the Yankees, there's a lot of noise around it. There's a lot of hype around it. And, and of course, a game where they just throttled Araldis Chapman. Um, you know, Chapman's, after a really great start to this season, has had a terrible stretch here. And the Mets just jumped, obviously, Pete Alonso jumping all over him for a home run, but it was a lot beyond that. I think it's a little bit of a momentum series for the Mets, as you saw them beat one of the best pitchers in baseball against the Brewers on Monday night. You saw a different energy with this team, with this offense. And, of course, something you and I talk about a lot, a lot of that starts with Brandon Nimmo at the top of the lineup. But Pete's had really, really big moments. Dom Smith is swinging a hot bat. Conforto and McNeil are kind of still figuring it out, but there's enough juice throughout this lineup that when one, two, maybe three guys are down, there's two or three guys elsewhere that can pick them up. And maybe this is the turning point of the Mets season from the offensive perspective. And Lindor is bunting. I hate it so much. <laughs> I was going to say. And I know you, you do too. Yeah, uh, I was going to throw the question your way. What were your thoughts on the Lindor bunting? Because very often this show turns into you know, you asking me things and then we go back and forth. So I'm going to flip the roles here. Talk about your opinion on bunting generally outside of pitchers because pitchers, it's fine. I get it. But outside of pitchers, tell me what the point of bunting is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was an interesting scenario because it's pretty much extinct from baseball, like you said, unless it's a pitcher up there and 99% of the pitchers in today's game can't do it. It's very rare when you see a guy really get up there and know what he's doing. And it's not easy to bunt in this era where everyone's throwing 99 or they're throwing crazy breaking stuff or they know how to attack guys trying to get a bunt down. And pitchers are obviously very predictable bunting players. So I, I really hate it when it's anybody in the two through five part of the lineup. And, you know, it was it was interesting with the Mets because they were in a game where McGill has been a, a really nice surprise, by the way. Uh, I will come out and say that right out, out of the gate. He's been a really nice surprise. But up against the Brewers in that fashion, they were clearly playing for the one run to tie the game because they had they barely scrapped together uh, any kind of hit. It was just a serious... You know, Woodruff is obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. If Jacob deGrom wasn't in the National League... Woodruff might be taking the title of the best pitcher in the National League. So from that perspective, I understand you're trying to get that run across the board against a dominant guy, and then maybe you think you're going to get to the bullpen. But at the end of the day, this is a great bullpen with Milwaukee, and it's Francisco Lindor, man. Like 
I don't like it. I'm pretty sure Rojas has said that it, it is his call up there. They're not telling him to bunt. That's not something he's being instructed to do. It's up to him. And I think what makes me dislike it even more, Joe, is that this is not April Lindor, right? Or May Lindor. I'm not saying things are perfect right now, but he looks like a totally different player from those. And you could see it in the at-bats later in the game where he's drawing walks. He's just seeing the ball much better. He's obviously had much better at-bats over this last month. I just I think I look at him and say, man, if he, if he just couldn't figure it out right now, then maybe you play for the one run. But he's just not that guy right now. He is someone that you can trust to get the big hit. He's had big hits. So quite simply, I'm not a fan of it at all. And I don't want my I just don't want my three hundred and forty million dollar shortstop sacrifice bunting. Like you mean to tell me like all right, if you're if your focus is on moving the runner over, you should be able to hit a ground ball to the right side and and move the runner over. Point. And you hit a ground ball to the right side, maybe it sneaks through. And then you drive in the run yourself. So it's, it's worked a lot against the Yankees yeah, for him. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that it worked out, but the process stinks, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a process over results guy. And the I, Diaz trade, uh, yeah, exactly. Bad process, yeah. But bad it, process, it's worked but, out so far. If yeah. you were asking today, I mean, I've, there's a lot of issues with it. A lot of issues with it. But Edwin Diaz has been one of the best closers in baseball All-star for the Mets. Snub. All-star snub. Okay, I mean, him and Walker, complete yeah. snubs. Yeah. But but like you said, the process of the trade, of trading a top prospect like Kalanick and taking back all of that money from Cano, yep. there's a there's a bad process there. I completely agree with you. Yeah, exactly. So it's a process over results. So it worked out. The Mets won, so everything's great. But just please stop bunting, Francisco. I, 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 I know you listen to that so, Mets. I know that's what you're doing in your <laughs> yeah. spare time. So just stop bunting, will you, man? Just... Go ahead and hit. You're a hitter, man. You're a $340 million MVP caliber player. Go ahead and hit the ball. I don't need you bunting. No, I'm with you all there. So a nice little stretch here of Mets baseball where, quite frankly, they've had to just try to figure it out on the mound. You're not having, you know, a lock on a, as a starter on the mound every night. And quite frankly, I know the pitching wasn't even necessarily the biggest problem in that final game against the Yankees on Sunday night. But the fact that they're even competitive when starting a guy like Oswald or something like that, it's just the Mets are figuring it out. Whether the injuries are in the lineup, now the injuries are with the starting staff, and some have come through the bullpen. Uh, They've been pretty resilient. And I think Louis Rojas gets a lot of credit for that because it's not easy to get a team prepared or to have that level of competitive nature every single game it almost not. I'm not going to say every inning because baseball is just too long to be saying that. But it feels like every game they have a, a level of competitive nature that's really impressive with all the injuries. So things are going in the right direction again a- after a tough stretch, and let's see how they can they can close it out before we get to some draft talk and then of course your questions. Joe, did you have any last uh, last thoughts on what the Mets have done over the last week? They're playing much better baseball, and I think it's not a coincidence that everybody's getting back in the lineup and getting healthy. And like you said, Rojas deserves credit. I think Rojas is a very good manager. Is he perfect? No. Um, does he make sometimes some questionable bullpen decisions? Sure. But I also think fans are looking for some magical manager that does not exist, that does not make questionable bullpen decisions. Um, what I like most about Rojas is after the game, even if there is a questionable decision he makes, he, there is always a sound logic for why he did what he did. 
every single time. Um, I think he's very well spoken, handles the media well, knows how to answer questions intelligently, unlike managers in the past that have kind of blown off questions. Like he takes that part of the job seriously too. So for me, Mets fans should be super excited. I mean, this team has been in first place for two months now. Haven't lost first place at all in two months. They've had to replace Mets for most of that. So all these backup guys, guys off the street and still making it work. And now that they're getting the real, you know, starters back, now the replaced Mets become valuable bench pieces. Like we talked about what we thought VR and Pilar and those guys were going to be. They now get to go back to those roles and, and be valuable pieces there. And you have to be excited about where the Mets are at. And if you're not, then your expectations are probably just unrealistic. So it's an exciting, exciting time. A really good team. Not a perfect team, but really good team. The bullpen, especially the back part of that bullpen, has been unreal. I mean, Aaron Loop, Seth Lugo, Trevor May, and Edwin Diaz are as good of a four in a bullpen as the NL probably has at this point. And you got the top of the rotation pitching really well. They're going to have to navigate the back end there a bit, but... This team is really good, and I think they have a chance to do some serious damage down the stretch. Yeah, I think the point you make about the bullpen is key, is that it's pretty crazy when you see a guy like Lugo warming up, and there's just almost like a relief factor, where you're like, man, I know this guy can get us a big inning here in the seventh, a big inning here in the eighth. There's obviously situations where he's going to have to pitch into the ninth inning or, or stuff like that, because the game could be tied. It's just a totally different factor, and you know, Castro has had his struggles recently, but you have other arms in the bullpen that can pick him up because, quite frankly, it's just impossible for anyone in this sport to be perfect over the course of the, you know, 162 games or however many games they were available to play. So it's a huge part of it. And I, you brought up uh, unrealistic expectations. I think we could maybe get to some of those potentially here as we transition <laughs> to the draft. Although I'm holding out hope. I know you're a little bit more of a skeptic. We had Jim Callis on last week. If you didn't get to listen to that, you definitely should go back after the show and check it out. He talked about uh, the potential with the Mets 10th overall pick. I'm just going to come out and say it, start this segment, Joe, that, and you know it, we all see it. Every Met fan wants Kumar Rocker with the 10th overall pick. I think, and I'm one of them. I'll just come out and say that. I think some of it is that he is one of the superstar faces of college baseball the last couple of years, of course. Some of it is that he is a really good player. I mean, there's no denying that. Is he a, you know, Steven Strasburg level player? I don't think that, like anything along. But he's a really nice player that would be a notable name to add to any farm system. You look at the college career, even as a 19-year-old, a pretty electric player overall not necessarily purely dominant but very 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 good and this is what people love with the draft obviously I do it with the NFL people love the excitement of a pretty impressive talent potentially falling to a spot that if you ask someone five six months ago nobody would think that he could make it to the 10th overall pick maybe the third maybe the fourth but not the 10th overall pick. So just what's been your, you write mock drafts, you obviously do a ton of draft coverage, but also Mets-specific draft coverage for SNY. What has been your overall take on just watching the fans 
collectively come together for essentially what they want this team to do in this year's first round? It's honestly like nothing I've ever seen. And like I said, I've been covering the draft for a long time. The Mets have picked higher than 10, too. And I don't recall any draft where my Twitter feed was getting blown up with people wondering, can blank prospect make it to six overall or 10th overall back in 2014 when they took Conforto? At that point in time, no one was doing that. So the interest in the draft you know, is amazing. And the fact that Met fans are so invested, it's fantastic. Um, as far as Rocker goes, you know, it, it's not impossible that he's there at 10. Uh, I certainly consider it unlikely. I don't know that he's going to be able to get past Arizona at six and Kansas City at seven. If he gets past both of those teams, then I think, you know, it, it becomes realistic. But I think Rocker in coming into the season was the consensus number one overall pick. And like you said, if I if you asked me in March, I would say he's going number one. And if not, then someone went under slot and he'll go number two or whatever. And, you know, I'm wrapping up my big board here. And I think Rocker is just going to go where he belongs. Like, I don't have Rocker in the top five on my big board. So I think he's just going to go where he belongs. I he's He's a good pitcher, like you said. I just don't think he's generational or you know anything like Strasburg like you said he's not that kind of guy which is I think what the perception of him was coming into the year Um, because obviously he had the crazy 2019 as you know throwing a no-hitter in you know the super regionals so and you know the NCAA tournament there and then not having college baseball essentially last year like he was able to keep that momentum out there in the public but ultimately I think he's a good pitcher that has upside. You just need to iron out mechanics. You need to work on his third pitch and you need to figure out the fastball velocity and consistency. I mean, you can't have, you can't have a guy that's shows up to the park one day throwing 90 to 92 and then shows up the next time throwing 95 to 97. You need to find some way to make that consistent. And I think with pro coaching, you'll be able to do that. Uh, if Rocker's there at 10, chances are he'll be the best player on my board. So I certainly support the Mets taking him if he is to fall there. But I think we all just, as a community, maybe overrated Rocker a little bit because I think he was lumped in like he was a Steven Strasburg. Um, So it's not an insult to Rocker. I think he's a heck of a prospect. And like I said, if he's there at 10, I would say... The Mets should take him Um, very much worth that pick. It would even be a bit of a steal at that point. But I think just as a community, we maybe were a little high on higher on him than we should have been. And, you know, I'm sure you kind of go through this stuff in the football draft, too, where there's guys Mm -hmm. coming into the season that you think are going to be number one type picks. And as the season goes on, you're like, well, well, maybe we're a little higher on this guy than we should have been. Doesn't mean he stinks. Just means it's not a he's just not a number one pick kind of guy. Absolutely. It happens all the time. I think when, you know, because at least from the football perspective, the way you're watching a guy in July before his potential final year of college football might be a little different than the way you're watching him in January, February, March, April before the draft. And I'm not saying less detail goes into it or anything like that, but you you're going through a lot of different things, whether it's also medical and character come into it, but you're, you might also find holes 
that next time around that you didn't see the first time. Or, honestly, nothing changes with the player, but things around him change. Like, let's be real. Jack Leiter was just marvelous this year. A a lot of players just do more sometimes. That's what happens. So, And I'll tell you what I I think is some of the Mets and Rocker uh, excitement, like powder keg of excitement. And I this is exactly how I think I feel as well. And I, I think this is how a lot of people feel. I think they're looking at the Mets team, right? And we do live in an era, like you said, where more people are invested in the draft than ever. And it's across every sport, which is great. I think you look at it with Rocker. He's 21 years old. He'll be 22 in November. This is a Mets team that you're looking at it and sitting here and going, we're just the fan of the Mets, not a fan of prospects and the draft, maybe casually dipping their toes in, something like I do, but fan of the Mets. You think Jacob deGrom's going to be here for a long time. You know Taiwan Walker is here at least next year. You, If you're a Mets fan, you're thinking that with this ownership, you're going to get one of Stroman or Syndergaard back for the long haul as well. You hope that one of McGill or Peterson can be an answer for the future. You know Carrasco is here next year as well. You're probably saying to yourself, man, what if Rocker is ready for September of 2022 when he'll be approaching 23 years old or even the beginning of the 2023 season to fill one of those voids that one of the guys I just named has left with the team. I honestly think, Joe, that his potential early availability to be wearing a Mets uniform at City Field, not an A-ball, not double A-ball, but at City Field within the next 500 days, and that might be optimistic, but I'm just saying how a lot of people probably feel. I think that plays into it as well. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I go on Twitter, I see you all my mentions, I reply. It excites me. Yeah. And I reply to you guys and, you know, we talk about it. Everyone's focus is on the big league team and I get it. You're, you're, like you said, you're a fan of the Mets. You casually follow the draft and you just, you don't want them to take a high school player. Even if that person has sky high upside, you just don't want to draft a guy that you're not going to hear of for two or three years. And then all of a sudden, all right, now he's getting close. And it's just like, oh yeah, that guy that they took a couple, a few years ago that I forgot about. So I totally get it from that perspective. Just, you know, from an organizational standpoint, they're obviously not so worried about that. They're just in the business of drafting the best available talent. High school, college, doesn't really matter. But I 100% understand the fans' perspective. And I I don't think I ever have. If I have, it was unintentional. But I never criticize a fan for their, you know, draft opinion in that sense. It's like, hey, you want to see the Mets win. I want to see the Mets win. You know, if push came to shove, you know, if things are equal, I would take the guy that's closer to big league ready. Um, obviously, if there's a significant talent gap and, you know, for for me, you know, I would take Jackson Job, the high school pitcher from Oklahoma over Kumar Rocker. I just that's how Man, my he's exciting. Yeah, that's how my board is set. But Job's not going to be here, like you said, at the end of next year or early 2023. That's just not going to be the case. So. It's a fun debate, and I love to have it. And no, I completely understand the fan perspective of, look, this rotation is going to need guys. And, you know, Matt Allen obviously is going to have 
missed, you know, potentially three full seasons in a row. If you think about it, the COVID season, um, this season, he didn't, he obviously got Tommy John and he got it a little later. So he might miss all of next year too. So that would be three straight full seasons missed for Matt Allen. Um, JT Ginn is coming along just fine. Uh, he pitched into the sixth inning for the first time uh, in his professional career, but he's still in single A. So he's still a, a little bit away. So that, that pitcher that we're looking for just isn't there. So obviously a guy like Kumar Rocker could, you know, jump up and, you know, potentially be in the big leagues quicker. And tomorrow I'm actually submitting or tomorrow my final mock draft will be posted on SNY. And I think it's maybe even a guy that could be quicker to the majors than Kumar Rocker. Hmm. So you have to tune in to find out about that. So getting away from Rocker here, because, you know, we wanted to open with that. Everybody's really excited about it. We had a really good question from Sean Hale for Joe. I'd love to know where you'd rank certain draft prospects prospects this year in the Mets farm system. For example, if we drafted Rocker, I guess we're not getting away from him, I lied. Uh, <laughs> would he be number two behind Alvarez? Would Kowser be in the three to five range? It's very tough. I mean, yes, tricky. what makes it tough is, and I have to think about this because I'm going to have to write a piece based on the, the draft picks and you know where they'll rank at some point in time, I'm sure. Uh, what do I do to the guys that got hurt? Like, do I ding Matt Allen in my prospect rankings because he got hurt? Or do I just stick I don't or, do I, so. or I stick with talent? Guy like Pete Crow Armstrong, same thing. He, you know, missing the year. So if I'm not gonna ding anybody for injuries, a guy like Rocker, I think he'd fit for me probably third in the system, I think. Um he he it'd be contending for second with Allen. Um, but second or third, so he'd be up there. And a guy like Kowser, for me, would probably be more seven, maybe eight in that range. Like, I, I wouldn't put him over Crow Armstrong. Um, I wouldn't put him over Beatty, Allen, Mauricio, Alvarez. Vientos. He'd be he'd be in that, he'd be lumped in with, like, Gin and Vientos. And it'd kind of be like, I'd have to, you know, really, really think about it. But he'd be in the, let's just call it six to eight range, which is complementary of the Mets system, by the way. So while the Mets system is obviously not one of the top ones in baseball, at the top, it's as talented as almost any system in baseball. They have, you know, multiple top 100 prospects and a couple guys that, in my opinion, are top 100 type of prospects that just haven't gotten there yet. It's just It just takes, you know, a big dive after that group. So that's why you see them rank lower because there's just not depth in the system from all the trades that were made and, you know, other things. But yeah, I think that's what I would do. I think Rock would be in the two, three range. And if they were to take someone like Colton Kowser, I think he'd be six, seven or eight, depending on kind of, you know, where it all shook out when I really just sat down and put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see just how they they rebuild this farm system from not the 10th overall pick, but the rounds after that, right? Because, you know, we almost forget as much as it felt like a really light return getting Francisco Lindor, at least. And I think it's it's safe to say that. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge return. You do also forget that guys like Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green were in that package. And sure, they weren't Mauricio or Beatty or anything like that. Not even really close to it. But 
Green, there was some promise and excitement around him, and he was just taken in the top 75 picks by the Mets. So there's just they're so barren in terms of the outside of the top five. And that's, you know, I know that's what you were just breaking down, Joe. And that's something that is such a factor in the next part of our show. We're going to go through a lot of trade scenarios. And quite frankly, you know, you hear Zach Scott say it and GMs are going to always say this. So I don't take away too much of it, but I do believe they're not looking to trade an Alvarez. I don't really think they're interested in trading a Beatty or or even a Mauricio. Now, I think it's interesting. You got to give something to get something. But I don't know how interested they are in trading one of those guys. So it, it is vital that this 10th overall pick, it's exciting. It's huge. You'd love to see them hit on it. But, man, they, they got to get something out of the, the second, third, fourth, those kind of picks as well, even if it's not stars, but just guys that can climb through the system and and have a shot at making it. to to. This is going to be an aggressive baseball team for a long time now under Steve Cohen. And with that comes a lot of these guys that are succeeding in double A or triple A that were third or fourth or fifth round picks, quite frankly, getting moved for pieces that help you win now. Yeah, that's part of that is part of what prospects are. And like I cover them and I could be called a prospect hugger at times and I'm okay with that. But I don't think you are but as it, much. There's definitely a lot worse, I'll say that. But um, I found out on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. I entered Mets trade Twitter for oh, the geez. first time. Yeah, welcome. Whoa. Yeah, it's it's quite a place to be. Um, but at the same time, like it's it's easy to be short sighted in a sense and just be so focused on have to win a World Series this year and forget prospects. But you can't operate that way. The best teams in baseball don't operate that way. So you have to build up this farm system. To me, you know, I. I probably would be hanging on to most of the top guys in the system for now. Um, and you pick your spots. Like if a, you know, a Francisco Lindor type of situation were to arise again, you want to have pieces to make that deal happen. It's not always going to work out that you can get a guy for a discounted price and prospects. And Lindor had obviously worked out that way. But to me, you really have to build up this farm system. So that's really how you're going to get to that sustainable success and, you know, being a consistent contender, I don't want them to just be good for a couple of years and then, oh, they stink again because now they have some bad money invested in people and they don't have prospects to backfill because they traded the prospects for these guys. So you have to be very careful with how you handle it. But at the same time, you have to be opportunistic. And if the right situation comes about, then obviously you have to be ready to trade a prospect to do so. Uh, so it's it's a tough toe to li- uh, line to toe for Zach Scott and Sandy Alderson, but I have I have some confidence that they'll handle it the right way. Yeah, I think so too. I think that they are going to be cautious, but I also think that they are going to recognize this is a year where the division is surprisingly weak, and that you have to keep your foot on the gas. and And I'm with. I'm kind of with the mold that you've been hinting at for a long time is that they'll go add a couple relievers and maybe a bench bat and, you know, and those typically don't really cost anything. Those kinds of moves, nothing of significance. I don't think they'll stand. I don't think they'll sit on their hands, but I don't know if we're going to see the big splash. If this was next year, Cohen's owned the team for a year. They're obviously in the hunt. They're very competitive again. You've already had a year where you, you felt things out. 
I think maybe. Or I think way more likely. I think year one, it would be a pleasant surprise, but I'm not really expecting it. And, you know, the guy that we were talking about on Twitter was Jose Barrios, and we've talked about him on this show quite a bit. You know, and some people thought I was too low. Some people thought I was way too high. A lot of people was like, yeah, and I'm curious your thoughts on it, Joe. A lot of people were like, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, and some people said I'm an idiot. You know, a a pitcher like that, he's 27 years old. He just turned 27 at the end of May. He's a former first-round pick. He's on a very bad baseball team. So you don't just just Google the ERA and say, oh, I'm not giving... A lot of things go into this. 3-8 ERA, two-time All-Star, 27 years old. I think that would cost you, and other teams can bid. It's not like it's just the Mets. Other teams get involved in this. If a guy like this becomes available, for me, it's Mauricio and Vientos. And if you don't like that, that's fu- I get it. You don't want to trade those guys, I get it. But I'm just saying, I don't think you're getting a Barrios-level player that is a young arm, an all-star caliber arm, and more importantly than any of the things I just mentioned, probably... He's under team control next year. That matters a lot in these things. That's huge. Trading a guy like a Chris Bryant that could be a rental for most teams that will acquire him versus a guy that can be a huge part of your championship vision for the following year, not just this year, factors into all that. So it's it's if you want a piece like that, and often those pieces are not moved at trade deadlines, they're just not. Young player. Um Because if you do that as an organization like the Twins, you are signaling to your fan base, you're signaling to your management, you're signaling to a lot of people that you are rebuilding. When you trade a 27-year-old all-star controllable arm, you are rebuilding. And if you are going to, you know, opt to do that, have the boldness and confidence to do that, you are going to need significant pieces back to sell all involved parties that it was the right thing to do. So one thing that I would say is if the responses on Twitter were were it's too much and then there was another party that said it's not enough, you're probably pretty close because, <laughs> I mean, if you had all on one side, then, you know, obviously that would be, you know, you're probably off base. I think it would take a little more, to be honest, than what you said, but I think a Mauricio Vientos plus another throw in piece is right kind of in the alley of what it would take. You know, maybe they'd rather have a JT Ginn than a Vientos or something like that. But I think it was fine. I think it it wasn't unreasonable. Um, But as far as the Twins trading Barrios, I don't know that they're going to at the deadline. Um, I know Jeff Passan at ESPN seems to think there's a good chance that it happens. But if I ran the Twins, which God help them if I did, but if if I ran the Twins, I would not even really think about trading Barrios right now I'd take it to the offseason and that's when my because right now if you're trying to trade for Barrios you're talking it's probably a competition between three or four teams whereas if I take it to the offseason it's probably going to be 10 to 12 teams bidding on him so I'll I'll get a much bigger return in the offseason than I would you know at the trade deadline I don't think the half a year control um, makes a significant difference in return so I would hold them till the off season, but I'm also just sitting here on a podcast. So um, I, I don't exactly have, you know, that, that kind of pull, but as far as your trade idea, I really don't think it was that far off. 
like I said, you might have to throw in something like, you know, I don't know, maybe a junior Santos or like an upside single A player. So a junior Santos, a Jalen Palmer, someone like that. Like if you throw that in, to me, that sounds pretty reasonable. But the toughest thing about these, you know, making up trades and things like that is we don't know who the twins like just because I can look at a prospect list and say, oh, Mauricio's number three on Joe's list. That doesn't mean that the twins might not like Ronnie Mauricio at all. Like everyone, exactly. ha- everyone I mean, has, it happens all the time. Yeah, everyone has different opinions on prospects. So just the fact that, you know, Mauricio's a super talented player doesn't mean, you know, the twins would want him. But obviously, if you're going to trade one of the upper echelon prospects, Mauricio seemingly, you know, sticks out as the most obvious one to do so. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's an interesting scenario where, you know, you'd like to have all of them and see how your cards fall. But when you're looking at it, they do have an interesting collection of players in Beatty, Mauricio, and Vientos that long-term are, are probably going to be playing third base. I know Mauricio will be written and listed at shortstop everywhere. We've talked a long time. His long-term projection is probably not at that position. And that's not a, hey, I play for the organization that has Francisco Lindor type of thing. That's a, hey, he's probably just going to have to move over there, whether it's size, range, all of those things long-term. So it's an interesting trio. And uh, it's kind of, I wanted to start our mailbag off on the topic of Barrios. Uh, Johnny, uh, who always sends us really good questions, kind of asked what we thought the proper package was. We kind of outlined it there. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. And the next one from Mets fan 
1.04 on a lighter note. We're going to do a lot of trade scenarios, but we got we to gotta break it up a little bit. So this one from MetsFan04. If you were an MLB closer, which song would you have playing when you run out onto the field from the bullpen? So I, I, I'm going to go with more of a fun type of song. Um, so in my very mediocre athletic career, um, I was never like – like, you know, you're sitting in the locker room or whatever with headphones on and, you know, you're listening. Some people listen to rap music. Some people listen to like rock music. Headstrong and, like, by Trap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that was like, that's like a vintage song. Like that was, that's on my gym playlist still. But, <laughs> but for me, for like to get ready, I, I would listen to like fun, upbeat songs, things to like, just get me like excited. So I didn't. I never felt the need to like get focused with a song. So like for me, I'd want something that like the fans could get behind and have like uh, Diaz has, you know, narco and like, that's super fun. Everyone's doing the trumpets. Everyone's having fun. So I don't know. I'm, I was thinking about this a little bit and I feel like I'd go like, you know, backstreets back by the backstreet boys or something like that. <laughs> just some, just something hella that fun that funny. like everybody, like I could just picture like, on the final warm-up pitch, like it hits the part of the song where it's like back streets back. All right. And the whole crowd like hits all right. And like, I don't know. I feel like that would be fun. And that's the kind of stuff that would get me going to be, and maybe I, maybe the music was part of the reason I was a mediocre athlete, but uh, that's the kind of stuff that I, that I would listen to, to like get ready, just like fun, upbeat stuff. So how about you? No, I like that idea. I think it's much different than, a you know people always talk about entrance music whether it's from wwe whether it's from fighters ufc boxing uh i think that is much more serious for the most part like if this question was you know what would your walkout song be before a fight that's much different but mlb closer you can have fun with it right like part of me wants to say oh go serious and do like paranoid by black sabbath but then the other part of me likes your strategy like like you said or like safety dance by men without hats like something that the crowd is laughing and getting into and and really involved in rather than everybody biting their nails and sweating and having a freak out that the Mets are up one run in the ninth inning and that the first batter is about to get walked and then you're really going to sweat this thing out so I like that strategy as well I think that's I think that plays into it Uh, I think more guys should do that but everyone's different some guys need that walkout song that music uh, to be more serious, to get themselves more hyped up while others don't. I think the trumpets is just perfect because, and and maybe I'm wrong about this, but as far as I know, super original, uh, super unique. Obviously, everyone in the crowd loves it. Like the only Mets game I went to this year when the trumpets came on and Diaz came out of the bullpen, like everyone in the crowd was dancing, standing, clapping, yelling, uh, and that was what? That was like a 4 o'clock game we were at. So it wasn't even like a Friday night at like 9.30. Everyone's drunk and going nuts. It was like a pretty standard uh, afternoon game. So I really, really like that approach. And, and Diaz actually jogs in sync with the trumpets. It's actually like if you wa- <laughs> watch SN- and Y the next time he comes out, he literally jogs in sync with the trumpets. It's crazy. Um, but one one person that we now have a major issue with, like huge issue, um, new rival of the Mets would be Jock Peterson, who decided that Narco is now going to be his yes. walk-up song. Jock, cease and effing desist. Get yeah, out of here. Stop. Yeah, get out of here. Find some other song. 
Narco is Edwin Diaz's song, period, point blank, stop yourself. <laughs> well, it threw me off when I heard it this year uh, for Jock. I was like, is this a troll? Is this like... Oh, and the, and Nas- and like, the Nationals played it like... The Nationals played it. They played it when there was like a mound visit or something like that. And yes. I was like, if I were Edwin Diaz, I'd be sending out cease and desists like... It's nobody's business. Like, Narco belongs to Edwin Diaz. I don't care what anyone says. I mean, that's what everyone knows it as yeah. now. And everyone, and really, everyone will if the Mets play in the postseason and Diaz has that moment. Because I think it's a moment that, whether you're a fan of the Mets or not, everybody can rally behind. Like I said, it's fun. It's light. It's cool. Uh, it's very different and unique. So I really like that strategy. The next question, back to trade scenarios, this is from Eric R., would a trade with the Reds for Castillo and Mustakis for Davis, Ginn, and Vientos make sense? Before you jump in here, Joe, I'll say this. I would want nothing to do with the Mike Mustakis contract. That's my... Now, you can get a little bit more creative here and, and swap a different player in or something along the lines like that. We've talked about Suarez a lot, who's had a down year. I just think with Mustakis money... He's on a four-year, $64 million year deal, uh, year deal that is signed through 2023. That's a long time, and he's just not the player that you want that salary tied up in. Now, Castillo, of course, intrigues me. I know he had a miserable start to the season. I think recently he's come back down to reality closer to the player he is. He's still at a 508 ERA. That's how bad of a start to the year that Castillo had. But obviously he's someone that he's 28 years old. Um, he's under team control. And you have to think the Mets coaching staff would, would be able to get something out of him. I still think as bad as he's been this year, and, and he has figured it out this year, looking at his recent starts, uh, he has not had a star where he's given up more than three earned runs since May. So the month of June was just tremendous for him. He was really good in the month of June and had a solid start in a win against San Diego on, on the beginning of July. So Castillo, they're, they're going to want a lot for him. Going back to that offer, what did you make of this offer overall, Joe? I get what fans are trying to do. They're trying to tack on bad money because Steve Cohen is rich yeah, totally. to get to get a premium player and give up less in talent. I, I, I just don't want to see the Mets take on more bad money. They already have some bad money with Robinson I, Cano. And they have a so, lot of contracts in yeah, front of them they got to get yeah. done. So I'm done taking on, like, I want, I wouldn't take Josh Donaldson for free. And I kind, and I kind of mean that, like, they could just basically say, here's Josh Donaldson, and I would pass. I'd rather not. And Mustakis kind of falls in the same thing. Like, I have no interest in him. Uh, it, I honestly think I would rather pay more in prospect capital and get just Castillo and keep that $14, 15000000 million a year, whatever it is that Mustakis is making, and invest that elsewhere. Uh, I'd rather pay more in prospect capital, personally, and get a guy like Castillo, who I don't know if there's any indications that he's available anyway. But, I mean, if you send me any more trades uh, in Twitter of, you know, take on this guy's bad money so you get this player at a discount, I'm not really interested in doing that anymore at this point. Well, let's get into a little bit of why. The next question is from Beast. Can we start the Extend Brandon Nimmo movement? And this question, before getting actually into the topic of Brandon Nimmo and an extension, 
I think it brings up some of this. Yes, you can sit here and say, well, Steve Cohen has billions and billions of dollars. There will be a day, and it's probably in closer future than you would think, that this team just blows through the luxury tax. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, the Mets have a lot of work to do in terms of who they extend. And, you know, Nimmo's in his final year of arbitration in 2022. So we are very close to Brandon Nimmo contract year. Obviously, Conforto is going to be a free agent at the end of this year, and that's a conversation for another day. We we know about Stroman and Syndergaard. You got to get, I mean, you got to get one of them done, obviously. We think that. So there's a lot they got to do here and a lot of hard decisions to make where, and we got Cano coming back next year. Love that money. They They just can't take on $20 million here and $20 million there every single time something catches your eye in the candy store. Um, so let me reel myself back in and just get to the original question for you, Joe. Can we start the extend Brandon Nimmo movement? If you want to. I mean, it, he's got another year after this, of course, so that's something to consider. Do you want to ride it out? Because he's had injuries. Let's, you know, as impactful as Nimmo has been, he misses time and that has to factor into what you're paying people. And, you know, he just got back and I know everyone's super excited and they're like, Oh, just extend Nimmo. I mean, he had, you know, the obviously a really good start then missed a ton of time. And now he's had a good few days since he's been back, but I'm not, you know, rushing to extend him. but certainly he's on my radar as someone that the Mets should consider keeping for the longer term. Um, then you have obviously, like you said, Strom and Cindergard. Conforto, I think, is going to have a really big second half, and I think right now fans are super down on him, and they're just like, oh, well, good thing we don't have to sign him now. Uh, I think he'll make a case in the second half that might change some people's minds. And you know, as rich as Steve Cohen is, they're not going to have a high-priced player at every position. It's, no team does that, or at least no successful team does that. So uh, I don't envision that being the plan. They're going to end up letting some guys walk, and extending the guys that they want to extend. And, you know, Nimmo, I think, is working his way onto the list of consideration. And not in a rush to do it, but certainly, hey, if Conforto ends up pricing himself out of what the Mets want to pay him, then, you know, you have Nimmo as kind of a guy you could go to with a lesser contract offer potentially and lock him in instead. Because you still have to be smart despite being rich. Like, you don't get as rich as Steve Cohen is by being really dumb with your money. So uh, I think they'll manage it well. I think he's going to have the right baseball people to make the recommendation of what a player is worth. And if a player is worth it, Steve Cohen has the money to do it. And they set, you know, George Springer's a prime example. They said they would pay whatever it was. I, I forget what their offer was, but they set what they thought he was worth. That's what they were willing to pay. And Cohen was ready to do it. And he got more from Toronto, so they moved on and they just let it go. You know, Trevor Bauer, obviously. You know, we don't need to get into everything with Trevor Bauer, but Steve Cohen was really, he was willing to pay Trevor Bauer $40 million. Like, that wasn't a problem. He has the money. It's just, they're not just going to go around and pay every single person around the diamond. You need to have cheap assets. And um, yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying you can start to think about it, but certainly not a rush. I think so as well. It's it's one of those things where you would like to see him stay off the IL the rest of the year. And 
be the kind of player that he's shown in a small period this year he can be. An effective leadoff guy that works long at-bats, which is very valuable in today's game. There's no denying that. A player that, unlike 80% of the league, doesn't feel like he's swinging for the fences every time he's up there. It's It really feels like he has an approach and a lot of a calculated approach to his at-bats that he knows that he's you know that spark plug that can get things going and just has to get on first base or get on second base. And the rest of the guys will drive him in. And I think that's really valuable to this lineup. But like you said, Joe, it's a scenario where you got to weigh everything. Where, say, Conforto, you know, walks in free agency. Say they do set a number for Conforto. The open market gets nuts. And, and wisely, they just go, you know what? We're not going to match that. We're going to let you go. And next year, you're probably looking at an outfield that would be Dom in left, Nimmo in center. Pilar and right, which you can live with for the most part, as long as you make the necessary upgrades in total. Well, and then Nimmo has a healthy year. Well, then you're going to look at it and go, we got to get this one done because he's a he's a big piece of our outfield and he's somebody that we want out there in center field and at the top of our lineup for a long time. And we don't have twenty seven million dollars tied to Michael Conforto for the next six years that we can find a way to get this one done. So you you nailed it. There's so many variables in play when you talk about extensions that are over a year away from potentially happening or two years away from potentially happening that things can change so fast. So we'll keep the extension talk going. The next question is from Bobby. If a trade was made for Chris Bryant, how many years do you offer as an extension or are we comfortable with a half-year rental? Cheers. What do you think about that? Zero. You're just pure rental yeah, mode. Yeah, I'm renting Bryant. I'll monitor his market in the offseason, whatever, but no, I'm not. I, I would be looking at Bryant as a pure rental at third base because what I'm trying to do, I am I have an eye on third base being Brett Beatty's job it, by 2023. And I don't want to lock in, you know, a guy as good as Bryant has been, not really looking to lock in someone for the long term at third base. Um, not even And here's the thing, it's not even just Beatty. So even if Beatty doesn't pan out as we expect, Ronnie Mauricio could potentially be a third baseman down the road. Vientos. Mark Vientos is arguably the hottest hitter in minor league baseball, and he could you know, potentially be a third baseman. So for me, I'd be cool getting Chris Bryant as a rental, obviously, make a huge impact this year, and you know, just see how his market handle you know goes in the offseason. He's having you know an MVP caliber year, so chances are his market will be really hot, and I would I would just as soon rent him and let him go somewhere else for a lot of money and say, thank you for helping us win a World Series, I guess. Like that's that I, I assume that would be the point of doing it to win a World Series. So for me, I really wouldn't be looking at an extension for Brian. I would look at him as a rental. Let me ask you this then. Say they do make the trade. You get him as a rental. You do monitor his market. Things don't go the way you thought they would with Conforto. You lose him. You go with my outfield I suggested for 2022 in case of emergency, which is Dom, Nimmo, Pilar. You sign Bryant to, say, a four- or five-year deal. He's a 30-year-old free agent. You play him at third in 2022, and then when one of the young pups is ready, you move him to right field. I mean, that's that's actually not a bad idea. I know that Bryant has played an actually decent amount of outfield. I don't have I, I don't have yeah. I don't have his numbers up as to how he actually is out there um, as far as outs above average or anything like that. But 
that makes more sense because I'm thinking of Bryant just in my brain. I just think of Chris Bryant, third baseman. Sure, but, totally. But, but I have to realize that he's played quite a bit of outfield. He's played, I think, right and left as well. Um, so you could have some flexibility there. So that that could potentially help. I mean, do you, in that sense, would you approach it kind of like Stroman or Syndergaard and then Bryant or Conforto? I would. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't. I, I mean, wouldn't maybe I'm being maybe I'm being just maybe I'm be, maybe I'm being swayed a little here. Um, I te- I tend to be pretty firm in what I think, but I think you might you might have convinced it's me a unique. little bit. How's his defense? It's a unique situation. <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna look at that, I, it's a great question. You yeah you you, you <laughs> worry about the the numbers and I'll worry about the talking. I just think that I'm playing devil's advocate here, where I'm trying to come up with a reason why. You know, Chris Bryant could be more than a rental for a guy that is defined. And I, I do, I think it's very fair to say that that's what he is in this market. He's a great rental piece. He's a nice fit for the Mets because, quite frankly, they've had a revolving door at third base. I think everybody's brought something a little different to third base and done a nice job. I think Yorme obviously has a really good glove. I, I think VR has played way better defensively than I ever expected at third base. But VR, a, a kind of a spark bat that gives you speed on the bases. And then when J.D. was healthy, I mean, of course, we think of J.D. as, you know, not a good glove at all, barely even capable out there at third, but one of the best bats in the lineup and and can crush lefties. So the question, and then you get Chris Bryant, and you think, well, now we know we got our lock at third base, and we like J.D.'s power off the bench. We like VR speed off the bench or filling in at second base. Uh, especially if McNeil can't get back to being himself, then VR would play even more over there. It just opens up a lot of possibilities. But thinking about the long term, it surprised me this year, but the guys played a lot of outfield where maybe you feel good about him as a long-term investment because he fits into your plan in multiple ways where it's, hey, he can hold the fort for us while we're waiting for... But, I mean, honestly, and maybe this is my glass half full, I think one of those three guys are going to be a hit. Whether it's Beatty, that's who I think it's going to be, Beatty, Mauricio, or Vientos. One of those three guys should be a capable starting MLB third baseman down the line, but you're waiting for it. And are you just going to ride it out with, you know, J.D. Davis or someone like that for the next couple of years until they are? I think that's a pretty tough pill to swallow for a team that, has championship aspirations within this three-year, three-to-five-year window. So just a different idea I'm throwing at you. No, and you need to play devil's advocate sometimes because sometimes I do get a little set in my thoughts, and uh, you could fact-check me here a bit. But the data is in, and as an outfielder, Chris Bryant is basically he's zero outs above average. So he's not a a negative, and he's not a positive. He's just – fine seemingly and that goes back and he actually played center this year too by the way he's played left center and right uh that's crazy to in, me. in 2020 he only played left and he was zero outs above average in 2019 he was plus one in left and minus two in right so yeah i guess like as an outfielder like you're not really going to get any positive value out of it but by the looks of it you're not going to get negative value either um of course you know at that point you know if you're starting to talk age 33 34 does the foot speed slow down and maybe it really becomes a negative but you know that's that's obviously part of the discussion but yeah if they were to pursue a chris bryant my initial answer is not looking to extend him but 
check out the market in the offseason because he's a Boris guy, so he's going to go to the open market, of course. And yeah, just kind of see how his market unravels. And if it works out that he's willing to sign for a number that works for you, then like you said, you could play him at third base and then shift him to the outfield in a year if you need to. There you go. All right. So I love how we just mapped out our Chris Bryant um, long-term plan with multiple scenarios for a guy that isn't even on the Mets yet. But that's what we do here. on the Net- We're forward-thinking on the That's a Mets podcast. We're not just giving you the 20-minute recap of last night's game. We are always going to be looking way too far ahead. Last question for today's show. This is from Ira on Apple Podcasts. We thank you for the review. It was a really good one, and he asked, what do you see with Sapucky in the future as the Mets have very few left-handed prospects? Hopefully they will draft some. Thanks. What do you think? You know, this is, I'm going to tailor this question a little bit for you, Joe. How do you think organizations view that situation where they, you know, they look at their system and they look at, obviously you always hammer home that teams do not draft based on major league needs. That's not a thing. It never will be a thing. But how do they look at a situation where just in the system as a whole, they don't have a lot of left-handed arms? At the top of the draft, it has no impact. But certainly as you will get further down the rounds, they will then look for organization. They'll look through the organizational depth chart and see what they have at each position, at each level. And, you know, they will draft for organizational need in that sense. You know, when you get to, you know, round seven through 20, like you're going to see more guys that are, oh, our organization is down on this, add some to it. But early on, it doesn't have any impact basically at all. Um, at least that's my understanding from talking to many people within the game um, that they're just drafting the best players that they can at the top and you figure everything else out later. Like if the Mets, you know, I mentioned Colson Montgomery before, if they drafted a high school shortstop at number 10 overall, I think Mets fans might lose their minds. They're like, there's Lindor here. There's Mauricio here and third base. There's Beatty there. There's Vientos there. Like they're just going to draft the best players and, let the chip fall as they may. And if the worst case scenario is they do nothing but acquire really good players, then you have trade chips and then you can improve yourself elsewhere. So, um, yeah, I think it's something they'll look at, but that's more like a mid late round type of consideration, not really at the top. Uh, but as far as the pucky specifically goes, I've said it for a bit now. I think he's a reliever. I think he's a multi-inning reliever. Uh, sort of like in a sense, I'm not saying he's as good. Clearly, he hasn't shown that yet. But like in a sense, almost like a lefty Seth Lugo, like a multi-inning guy that I think his stuff will tick up in shorter spurts like that, where he's not trying to stretch out for six innings or whatever. I think you might see that fastball become mid 90s. And he obviously knows how to spin a curveball. The spin rate's really great. Uh, I look at him as a reliever long term, but the Mets are obviously given the dearth of starting pitching that they have in the upper minors are certainly not in a rush to make that move with Sapaki. Yeah. I think that it makes a ton of sense, right? You can't go into it and say, Hey, we have no lefties. We got to draft, you know, only lefty pitches, pitcher, pitches, pitchers for rounds three, five, six, and seven. But at the end of the day, I think it's a good point from Ira that you have to look at your organization and, and just be aware of what's, and maybe that has more of a factor of, Obviously, free agent signings. You look at one of the the best free agent signings they made this year that barely cost anything. Look at Aaron Loop, man. Like, cost nothing. He's been incredible 
incredible lefty. And, you know, you let Justin Wilson go, and it's fallen apart for the Yankees, and the Mets have added one. So I think when you're looking at that kind of situation, it is something that you can go into the free agent market and, and tend to find, especially when it's specifically the bullpen. And I lied, Joe. That was not our last question. Oh. We, have one, we have one more question, oh, bonus question. And you called him potentially the hottest hitter in minor league baseball right now. And it feels like every night this man hits a home run. This is from Jeremy Back. Where do you see Mark Vientos fitting in for 2022 if he is not traded since he will need to be Rule 5 protected? So just to scale back here, Joe, why don't you explain, and we do this about once a month, maybe once every few months, what that exactly means, the Rule 5 protection situation. And then, of course, the answer to how Vientos fits into this team's future plans if he's not moved. Yeah, so the Rule 5 draft, obviously, uh, we've talked about that ad nauseum. The draft itself, you draft a player uh, from another team's minor league system that they did not protect on their 40-man roster, and you have to carry them on your major league team for the entire next season. And then after that, you have the rights to send them down, do whatever you want. but as far as eligibility, it's based on how much time since you're drafted. I believe it changed semi-recently, but it was five years removed from high school and four years removed from college. Like that's the amount of time you have. Otherwise, you become Rule 5 eligible. And Vientos, is, I mean, it's kind of an easy one. He's going to get added to the 40-man roster this offseason, assuming he's not traded. And he will go to AAA and at that point, be a call away. You know, it's at the point where he's a step ahead of Brett Beatty on the depth chart. So while I'm going, I have Beatty ranked quite a bit higher in my top prospect list than Vientos, you know, Beatty's a step behind him on the depth chart, just, you know, proximity to the major leagues. So if Vientos is still here and not traded for Chris Bryan or whatever at the deadline, they're going to protect him. He's going to be on the 40 man roster and, you know, he'll he'll be in big league spring training and he'll be ready to, you know, get a call up hopefully at some point because he'll be with AAA Syracuse at that point, especially if he continues hitting the way he has in double A where he has a 949 OPS now on the year. He OPS over 1.1 in June, which is just crazy. 13 homers. Uh, Tommy Tanis was on the latest episode of Mets Perspective on SNY.TV and he said, there's not a player in our organization who hits the ball harder, more consistently than Mark Vientos. So the guy can hit. It's just positionally, where is he going to fit? Um, they've had him play some first base. He even got he even got an outing in left field. So it seems like they're trying to figure out where he's going to fit defensively because I think the bat can play. The power output is crazy. I mean, when you look at it, he set his own minor league uh, high this year with already 13 home runs in in just, what, 42 games. I mean, and it really came on recently, it feels like, where he's just hitting a home run every night. It's not like he started out and hit five in the first four games. It's, it's really just that he has had a power output in double-A ball for a guy that's 21 years old it's it's great to see it's a big you know vientos obviously joe you you know more about this guy than anyone i know you were you were pretty excited about his potential when he was a second round pick and this is a a huge jump 
a huge jump that he's taken in the minor leagues after obviously not having a season last year. Um, I, I can't say I would have predicted this one, but it's 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 huge for the Mets system him taking this kind of jump. Yeah, he's and he skipped high A entirely. So he played for low A Columbia. It was Columbia at the time. It's that's no longer an affiliate, but he played for low A Columbia and then had the canceled season where he would have played in high A St. Lucie. And because of Brett Beatty, they had to decide who are they going to be more aggressive with on to start this season off. And they chose Vientos double A instead of Beatty. And Vientos had a very tough May. Um, he's one of the youngest players in double A. Uh, you could count probably on one hand or maybe a hand and a half of how many players are younger than him at that level. And May, he struggled significantly. I mean, he had a 231 average, 279 on base. He OPS under 700. But then June, like he got his footing and, you know, he hit 324, 407 on base. Like I said, a 1.182 OPS, nine home runs and 20 RBIs in 18 games. So he was literally hit a home run every other game. Every other game. Yeah. Like, and there was a streak. I think it was five games in a row he homered, four or five games in a row. So, I mean, he's just, he figured out the level and it's a very exciting development for a guy that, admittedly, maybe I had too low on my top 20 prospect list coming into the season because uh, he looks like a completely different player. And from talking to people in Binghamton, they're like, his work ethic is there. And they're just basically like, this guy's a stud. And it'll be very interesting to see you know, how his uh, development continues. But certainly this offseason, he will be a member of the 40-man roster for somebody, whether it's the Mets or the team that he gets traded to. He'll be on somebody's 40-man roster this offseason. All right. Well, a lot of prospect coverage, a lot of draft coverage. Um, you know, obviously a lot of a lot of futures talk today because I think it's one of the most interesting part of this Mets team right now is even though they're in first place, they've been in first place for a while. You know, with just new ownership, new management, they are really uh, trying to build this thing up. And, and there's just positive signs across every level of the organization. So with that being said, episode 49, Joe, closing thoughts. I'm just really excited for the draft and, you know, obviously the Mets are still playing baseball this week, but my, and I'll, I'll watch of course, but my focus is squarely on the draft that begins Sunday. Um, you know, stay tuned to Twitter. Uh, I'm going to be doing a ton of draft content on Sunday. Some exciting stuff that I can't talk about yet, but you'll, you'll know when you see it, that's pretty cool. And uh, really excited to cover it. And I think, Connor and I will have some special draft content for you that mm, yes we will that will uh we'll tease this weekend but you know stay tuned to my Twitter sny.tv and you know of course this podcast we will be back next Tuesday recapping at least the first two days of the draft I think day three will still be going on probably when we record so just get ready for the draft give it a if you haven't watched the draft before give it a shot this week I think it's a fun event. Learn about these guys before they, you know, enter the minor league system. Not even just the Mets picks, but picks around the league and see who the next stars of baseball are going to be. They come from the draft every single year. Um, maybe the number one pick doesn't end up a superstar like, you know, it happens. But when you go back and look a couple of years down the road, you're going to be like, wow, so-and-so, you know, is an all-star. And they got drafted and I watched it. So give, give the event a shot. And uh, obviously... Follow us for our coverage of it because we're going to be on top of it. And like I said, I think there's going to be something fun and different coming uh, 
from us specifically after uh, after round one. Oh, it's going to be a great week next week's show. The amount of draft recap we can do, the amount of uh, Mets at the All-Star break coverage we can do, and it's episode 50. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that a lot of, lot of legendary Mets have worn number 50, but a lot of legendary random Mets have worn number 50. So I can't wait for the beginning of that show to talk about a million different relievers that I'm sure all of you remember for the right and wrong reasons. So with that being said, thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.